Well, I have uh, uh, just a small bit of, of news to share, and, uh, and it's very exciting news for me. Um, I don't get to say this very often, so I really just feel like I have to just embrace this and, and really enjoy this moment. My Minnesota Vikings are in first place. <laughs> and, and they're not just in first place in their division, which uh, would be enough for me to want to stand up here and do backflips. Uh, in fact, they're not even just in first place in the NFC, uh, which would just be music to my ears. But the Minnesota Vikings have the best record in the NFL. They, at 5-0, are the only unbeaten team. And i got to say, uh, th- you know, this is, is kind of uncharted territory for uh, a lot of Minnesota sports fans. But i got to say, first place feels pretty good. I, I like it. I-, I could get used to this. Um, now, I, I don't want to, you know, kind of count my chickens before they hatch here. Um, but but I, I like to enjoy this. It, it feels... Good. I, I like first place. Now, now you, you Seahawks fans, you, you kind of know the feeling of, of being the reigning Super Bowl champions here in, in pretty recent memory. And, and so you can attest to just how good it feels to be first. Right? Well, we like the feeling of first place. I, I mean, who doesn't? Who would prefer last place over first place? Right? No one wants to be the Cleveland Browns. First place feels good. And, and I think we particularly like first place as, as Americans, right? Winning, that's as American as apple pie, right? We, we love to, to rally around the Olympics and, and watch our athletes compete on the world stage and, and just revel in their success. We love first place. We love winning. It feels good. Uh, last spring, uh, Pastor Brad and I, we were at CenturyLink Field uh, for the U.S. men's national team, uh, their soccer game, uh, as they played here in Seattle. And, and I remember as we were there at the game and, and just enjoying the, the, the chants and the cheers of the crowd and, and taking part in those cheers after we, uh, after we scored our first goal and took the lead, uh, Pastor Brad leaned over to me and said, you know, I always wanted to be in an, in an environment where it was appropriate to chant USA, USA, right? We love to win. We, we love to chant and cheer when we're in first. Feels good to be first. Now, it's not just true when it comes to our favorite sports teams or, or athletic competitions. I, I think in most areas of life, we love the feeling of being in first place. I think that as much as we love the, the security that a job offer can bring to us and our families, we also really like the sense of pride and the feeling of accomplishment that comes with being the chosen candidate in a, after a, a whole round of job interviews. It feels good to be first. We, we like to, to display our, our, our degrees and, and our accomplishments and our successes on the walls of life's trophy cases if we're racking up these wins in life. We like to be first. It feels good. It's not just high school kids who are terrified of of being a loser. It's something we fight against every single day. We crave success and, and we 
Most of us, I think, are terrified of failure because we want to be first. We like the sense of pride that comes with being the best at something, the most successful at something. We find a deep sense of worth in our annual salary. We like the feeling of being first. No one likes a negative performance review. And that's precisely the sort of thinking that comes behind this question that Jesus' disciples James and John have for him here in Matthew. We read these words from Matthew chapter 20, beginning at verse 20. It says, Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons. And kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And Jesus said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. So James and John, the the sons of Zebedee, they, they have this desire, this wish that they want to bring before Jesus. That they want to be at his right hand and at his left. They want to be first. They want to be in positions of honor and power and glory when Jesus establishes his kingdom. And so they want to bring this request before him to have this sense of honor in Christ's kingdom. They don't just want to be subjects in the kingdom of God. They want to be in a place of status. But they also don't want to look too bad. They don't want to look too arrogant or prideful or, or full of themselves. And so they say, all right, let's do this. Let's have mom go ask for us. Right? Let's have mom ask him. And, and what loving mother of sons wouldn't think that her children are worthy of this sort of status? And, and so she comes and she brings this question before Jesus. She says, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, have these two sons of mine sit at your right hand and at your left. Let them be first in your kingdom. Give them honor, give them glory, give them status when you establish your reign. Now the response of Jesus, I think, is rather telling. He he sees through the technique of the disciples, and, and instead of addressing their mother, he turns and he addresses these two disciples of his. And we see not only that Jesus can kind of see through their little ploy here, we see just how little they understand about who Jesus is. Just how little they understand about his kingdom and what it's going to take to establish it. And so Jesus, he he answers them in verse 22 saying, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And they said to him, We are able. And he said to them, You will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. You don't know what you're asking. Jesus turns to his disciples, and, and he doesn't dismiss the question as silly or foolish. He doesn't attack them for being arrogant or prideful. He just simply says, you don't understand what you're asking. You don't know what it means to be called first in my kingdom. Are you able to drink the cup 
that I am to drink, Jesus asks him. In other words, are you able to suffer and undergo what I have to go through to bring my kingdom here? Now, if you read what comes right before this in Matthew's gospel account, you see that Jesus has just foretold his death for a third time. Just foretold that he's going to be condemned to death by the Jewish leaders handed over to the Gentiles to be crucified, and then he'll raise again on the third day. So the disciples should know exactly what he's talking about here. They should know exactly what he means by the cup that he is supposed to drink, but they still miss it again. And they just foolishly reply, we are able. Yeah, we can do it. Jesus says, yeah, you'll, you'll drink my cup. You will suffer like I'm supposed to suffer. But to sit at my right hand and my left, that's not for me to grant. That belongs to those for whom it's been prepared by my Father. Now, as James and John get this response to their question, they they don't get the whole thing, but they do get this sense of pride. We're going to drink the cup that Jesus is going to drink. And when the others hear this, they they get a little bit jealous. We see that it's not just James and John who sort of miss the point here, but all the others as well. And, And in verse 24, Jesus notices this, and he responds not to just to James and John, but to the other ten as well. It says, And when they when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus senses sort of the anger and and jealousy that the other ten disciples have, and so he calls his followers back to himself. He, He doesn't rebuke them in anger and frustration, but compassionately he calls them back to himself, knowing their lack of understanding, and and this time he just spells it out for them. He, He makes it far more explicit. He says, look, you know... You know how Rome operates. You know how the kingdoms of this world operate. They lord their power and authority over others. But that's not how it will be with you as my disciples. That's not how I operate. It's not how you will operate either. But if you want to be called great in my kingdom, You need to become a servant. If you want to be first, if you want to hold a place of status and honor and glory, you need to be a slave of everyone. After all, I didn't even come to be served. I came to serve. I came down to lay my own life as a ransom for many. You see, the kingdom of God, it's not about honor. It's not about holding places of status and glory. The the, the kingdom of God is not about putting ourselves first. To be a part of the kingdom of God 
means to become a servant. To be a part of the kingdom of God, it means that instead of being constantly concerned with what's best for me, that I find myself constantly concerned with what's best for others. To be a part of the kingdom of God, it means to have my life shaped after the very life of Jesus. That, that, that rather than putting myself first, that I'm always wanting to lay myself down, that others would be raised up. I'm not concerned about my own honor, but to be concerned about the honor of every single other person. That's what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. You see, the disciples, they had in their mind Rome. Right? They had in their mind Caesar sitting and living this lavish lifestyle as this great ruler of an empire. The disciples had in mind the days of King David and King Solomon with these men ruling from Jerusalem, sitting on a throne, wearing crowns and royal robes. And Jesus says, if that's what you have in mind, you still don't get it. You don't get what my kingdom entails. I came to lay my, myself down. And to be a part of my kingdom means that you will do the same thing also. Uh, there's a, a comedian by the name of, of Louis C.K. Maybe you've heard of him. Uh, I'll, I will uh, just give a, a brief disclaimer. Uh, much of his comedy and, and his TV show can be a tad vulgar. But he has this way of, of getting to, to just very the, core, the very core of many truths about how we operate. And, and in his TV show uh, that's sort of loosely based on his own life, uh, there's this scene where he's with his two daughters. And, and, and his two daughters are, are eating ice cream. And, and the one daughter looks into the bowl of her sister and she begins to exclaim, hey, that's not fair. She has more than me. And she begins to, to, to whine and complain about how her sister got more than her. And her dad, Louie, looks her in the eye and says, You know what? Life's not fair. And he says, You never look into someone else's bowl to see if they have more than you. You only look into someone else's bowl to see if they have enough. Yeah, and I remember hearing that and thinking, wow, how, how amazing it is that, that this man could understand and, and get to the core of what it means to be a part of Christ's kingdom better than we often do. How often we become obsessed with, does this person have more than me? Is their status better than mine? Rather than being concerned, do they have enough? And if they don't, they can have mine. I mean, just think about the history of the world. Think about how much blood has been shed for the honor and glory of princes and rulers. Think about how many lives have been lost in pursuit of advancing the American dream. Think about how often we ourselves have, have put others down and cast people aside and done so much damage all in the pursuit of our own honor and glory. Think about how many people we have hurt all because of our obsessive desire to put ourselves first. I mean, this is essentially the whole history of the world. No one's hands are clean. 
But when it comes to this desire to be first and to have honor and status and glory, no one is righteous. But you see, the shocking thing is, is that the Prince of Heaven comes down and he turns history on its head. That the one who was deserving of the very honor and glory of heaven laid it all aside to take on the weakness of human flesh. That that the one who, who kings should bow before traded that glory for a cross. That to come and establish his kingdom among us, he didn't come and, and shed the blood of his enemies. But instead, Jesus, the Son of God, he comes in weakness, shedding his own blood at the hands of his enemies, all for you and for me. Jesus comes and gives his life as a ransom for us, his beloved subjects. You see, I believe it's, it's once our hearts learn to desire this King Jesus more than anything else, then and only then do we begin to understand what it means to be called great in the kingdom of heaven. That when our hearts long for the love of our servant King Jesus, then we begin to realize that to be loved by him is worth far more than any, anything the world has to offer. That's when we can begin to cry out with the psalmist who says, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. It is much better to be loved by Jesus, to have the lowliest job in the kingdom of heaven than it is to have any sort of status and glory that earthly kingdoms can offer. I think that, uh, that Kathy's example uh, of the, uh, the rainbow fish was pretty good, but I actually think that we have one better. Uh, I don't know how much you know about the LWML, uh, but the Lutheran Women's Missionary League is one of the, the top fundraising groups in our entire synod. Uh, they give countless daughters, dollars to, to missions overseas, like Pastor Brad pointed out, they, they help fund the seminary education of, of pretty much all of the pastors in our synod. And, and all of this LWML does without, without seeking honor, without seeking glory, but simply doing it out of a deep love and desire for the mission of the church and the gospel of Jesus. What I see in LWML is a group of women who are shaped by their love and their desire to be loved by Jesus and for others to know what that means as well. May our hearts long for nothing other than Jesus and his kingdom. May we learn each and every day that it is far better to be loved by him, to hold any sort of status and honor on earth. And as we learn to long most deeply for Jesus and his love for us, may that well in us a desire not to be considered first, not to seek after status and honor and glory, but may our love for Jesus cause in us a desire to be known as servants of all. Amen?